listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Second part of our series called Family Matters. And if you missed last week, you missed half your life. We talked about God's love. Uh, By the way, if you missed any of our messages newchapel.com slash watch or our podcast. Our podcast actually will be up later today. It's that quick. Uh, We know that uh, as you get these messages, sometimes you need to kind of work through them as you go through your week. Uh, But but do trek with everything. We opened up a series all about family, talking about God's love. And in particular, we used the example of nostalgia, which is like Pastor Joe's love language to all of you, I guess. But uh, we, we talked about that old show, Family Matters, from the 80s and 90s. And I loved it. Uh, I was trying to show my kids that show, accidentally bought $80 worth of the entire 10 years worth of Family Matters, and so we've been watching it, and uh, the first episode, Mother Winslow, Carl, the dad's uh, mother, Mother Winslow, moves in with the family, and at the same time, they have uh, Harriet, the wife, uh, her sister and young son move into the house, and it has all the generations together, and as I was watching that, I'm trying to explain it to my kids, and it made me kind of long for the 80s and the 90s, uh, a a little bit more of a simple time. Anybody else get a little bit nostalgic, like when you see old shows like that, or maybe even this time of the year, you're thinking about old times. And and I was thinking about how much culture has changed and shifted in the world and how much more wholesome things were in the 80s and 90s and, and, and that big shift and change. And I was like, God, I wish it was like that back in the day. But you know, the realization is this, um, it's not really the 90s or the 80s that you're longing for. It's in, in fact, if you're maybe a little bit older, I, I won't make you say anything, but it's not the 50s that you're longing for. The truth of the matter is you're longing for something far more tested and tried and true, and I would even use the Bible word ancient than that. You're nostalgic for something maybe you've never experienced in its full weight. If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Jeremiah chapter 6. I want to read us a passage because I I see culture and it's at a crossroads. Uh, Culture is not changing, it's changed. It it is fundamentally shifted. How many of y'all know in the room that the world has done lost its mind? It is crazy. It is actually turned in on itself. It's not just fighting against you, it's fighting against itself which sometimes is like, you know, pop the popcorn. But then when it turns on us, it's not so fun. And so we see this crossroads in society and and Christian families, families that want to raise their kids in a godly way. We're standing at the crossroads and it's like, God, what do I do? How do I raise my kids? How do I navigate family in the midst of such a changing and, and, and really unrecognizable time? The Bible says this in Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. The Bible says, stand and look. If you could just keep that passage up there until we throw up the next scripture, guys, I want to just talk about it for a second. Stand at the crossroads and look. Uh, You know, that's very countercultural for our generation. Uh, We don't like to stop for anything. We're a go, 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 high pace, high energy uh, generation. It's a very busy time that we're living in. Um, I, uh, this week, got a brand new truck. Uh, my family was laughing at me at the Thanksgiving table. Joe Bevilacqua owns a truck. It's weird for me too, but uh, I got this truck and I'm trying to get my Bluetooth to hook up with my car. I'm starting to sound like you, but uh, anyway, trying to get my Bluetooth hooked up and I'm, I'm at a stoplight and I'm just trying to connect it. And, and my car speaks to me. It's telling me, you can't pair your blue. You got to wait and, and park first. Put it in park before you do it. Some of you moms are like, well, you should be doing it. Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to live my life. And, uh, and so we hate having to stop for anything, much less, how about this, when you have to put directions in your phone. You know what I'm talking about, anybody? Like, I hate having to stop and like, okay, where's the thing? O- open it up on Google. Okay, hit the thing. Oh, their address don't work. We have to copy the text and paste it inside the map app. And, and, and we don't want to stop for anything. What is the Bible saying? It's saying stop at those crossroads, pull over for a second, put the coordinates in. Give, give this the attention it deserves. 
You're not going to land at the right spot if you don't just pause at these crossroads moments. And it even acknowledges these crossroads moments exist in culture. This is not the first time that we've had cultural decay in the world. It's not the first time that we've ever dealt with moral issues. The Bible's conveyed if you stand and look and ask for God's way, if you ask seasoned Christians, if you ask for help, you are going to find, I love how it puts it, the good way. Like there is a way to raise your kids. There is a way to lead your home. It's a good way. It's tested and tried. And and let's give up on popular and current and in vogue and settle on tested and tried and proven. You know what I'm talking about, everybody? And the Bible's saying at these crossroad moments, you need to be a person that stops and you look and, and you're asking for that good way. And then it calls it the ancient paths, which honestly sounds pretty weird, doesn't it? How about this? That sounds weird, and I'm okay with it, because what this world says is normal, I don't want any part of it. I'm okay with being weird. I'm okay with the ancient path. You can say I'm old-fashioned. You can say it's out of date. You can say whatever you will. I want God's ancient path for raising a family, raising kids, leading my home. Normal isn't working. Say amen, somebody. And then at the end, it says that's where you're going to find it. Rest for your souls. And let me, let me explain what this means. Some of you are anxious. You see what's happening in culture. Some of you are unmarried, and you're like, I don't know if I want to get married in the midst of all of that. I mean, it's just we're, we're, we're trying to start a family, and the world's going upside down. Some of you are, are thinking about kids, or maybe you have young kids, and you're like, how do I do this? I'm telling you, stop being anxious. Stop being upset, wringing your hands about it, worrying about your kids. Listen to me. If you do it God's way and you walk in it, you will find rest for your souls. You can rest in the fact that God's way works, and you are not the first person to have to raise a family, raise a home, navigate marriage in a decaying culture. Say amen, somebody. Now, with everything that's happening, people are worried about the future. I see it and I hear it, and we have real problems. Our problems have problems. Our problems that have problems have problems, and then we're passing it down generationally, and so we have like problems that have had kids, and and those kids aren't a problem, but they have problems, and it's compounding. It's snowballing, but you can't get worried because when you do, you run the risk of wandering through this world, drifting. A couple chapters later in uh, Jeremiah, God says this in Jeremiah 18, My people are not so reliable. They've deserted me. They burn incense to worthless idols. What what is that saying? They're they're giving a lot of credence to, to, to voice that doesn't have a voice. In fact, the Bible in other areas calls them dumb idols. Like they really, they can't talk. In other words, it's very symbolic. They have nothing to say. So you're so concerned and so taken up with what authors are saying and fake experts are saying and the teacher's union is saying about how you need to raise your kids, psychologists, these, 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 these worthless idols, you're, you're burning incense to them and you've deserted God's way, the tried and true way. And it says that they burn incense to these worthless idols and they've stumbled off the ancient highways. And what are they doing? They're walking in muddy paths. There's a way that we used to say that in the country, but I can't say it in church, everybody. But what are you doing? You're you're wading through. It's a struggle. You're fighting against something that you don't need to. You've wandered off these ancient highways. In other words, this ain't God's first rodeo. He's done this before, and it's a highway. It's well paved. It's well proven in all of it. And these muddy paths, man, the last two years, three years almost, have been very clarifying, haven't they? And some of us, maybe in the room, you've made decisions and you've gone off from the highway. Maybe you veered, you drifted, and you're wandering a little bit and you find yourselves in muddy paths and your family's not uh, age to date, time to date, where you want them to be, where you think God would have them be. There's an opportunity, and it's called the grace of God. And that is today you can get back on this tried and true way of God, and you can say, hey, uh, they want to do a great reset in the world. I ain't about any of that, by the way. You need to reset the last two years and say, I'm not going the same direction. Maybe you made little compromises, and you're just a couple degrees off with the world. Friend, when your kid grows up, you'll be miles apart. Maybe you need to get back on the path, back on this great highway, this proven way that God has the good way for your family. Can I hear an amen, church? 
because these truths are for all of us. They matter. Let me read it to you out of the book of Psalms, Psalm 78. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will teach the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonder. Stop for a second. Y'all look at me. Well, I just don't want to push religion on my kids. I don't want to force the church on my kids. You're crazy. You force your kids to go to school, don't you? How about this? If you don't force your kids to go to school and you don't have another plan to educate them, there's going to be a truant officer that shows up at your house and you'll have some splaining to do, Ricky Ricardo. Like, you'll have to say something about it. The world knows that you have to do something. And you you don't hold back school from them. Why? You don't want your kid to be a dummy. And you don't need to force religion down their throat. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But you need to have your kids in the church. Well, they say they don't like it. Well, I said I don't like things too. They all say they don't like broccoli, school, and all kinds of wild things. When did we all of a sudden start letting our kids like have input into the prevailing direction that we lead our... Is anybody out there? Yeah. Better be careful, Pastor Brian. I might go buck wild like we were talking about earlier. It's, 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 we speak into our kids about the great things that God has done in the past. And it tells you why. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew, anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. We can't give up on them. Well, they're different than me, and they're saying things that I don't agree with. I don't even know where this stuff came from. It came from left field. I didn't raise them like that. I don't even know if I have any input. You don't stop talking. There's no greater thing that I've I've ever seen that's been a big failure or a fear that rises up in parenting is when mom and dad, you start becoming afraid of your teenager. Don't be afraid of your teenager. (laughs) They might put on bravado. They might say a lot of things. They might pop off at you. You keep on speaking, and you might think it might be falling on deaf ears, and I'm telling you, even when they're grown, they might go off on their own way, but God has a promise for you that you raise them up in the way they should go. They have a vote, but that in the end, they will not depart from it. They're going to circle back to that tried and true way. Don't be afraid of your kids. Love your kids and speak into their life. Say amen, somebody. Well, what are we talking about? It's the title of today's message. Write it down. It's the generational mindset. That's what you need is this philosophy of God, this heart of God in you, this mindset that is not just looking at you and your own, but it's looking through the generations. We realize that the solution for some of the cultural decay that we see in the the, the, uh, decay in society, it's found in us having a generational mindset. And we need to call it out. These are extraordinary times. But this generation is extraordinary in and of themselves. A couple thoughts about that. Because some of you look at the current generation, you scratch your heads. One thing you need to know about this current generation is they're a dynamic generation. Write this down. They're a dynamic generation. What does the Bible say in Exodus 3? God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, oh, God is relational. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. When we think about generations, uh, we think about the generations that are above us and the generations that are below us. And that is the Bible uh, view of this. In fact, let me show you a little infographic. Uh, Go ahead and throw that slide up there, guys, of Abraham. Uh, He lived 175 years. Uh, Go ahead and throw Isaac's slide up there. Isaac lived 180 years. And then Jacob, I don't know if he ate too much fast food, but he only lived 147 years. But uh, as you see this, these generations are, are playing out, and, and uh, the cool thing is God doesn't just like have a, have a generation start and then stop and then it continues. There's multiple generations at one time. And so Abraham knew Jacob. You don't read about that a lot in the scripture, but he was around. He was alive. A lot of the narrative went to Jacob in that season of the Bible, but God was a generational God, and the older generation was pouring into the younger generation. Now, our generation currently that we live in, uh, there are more people alive today of uh, more generations today than there have ever been in human history. 
Uh, let me show you. It starts with what we would call the silent generation. And the silent generation, also called like uh, the greatest generation, born between 1928 and 1945. And then after that, you have the boomers. Boomers. You guys boomed into the world. The baby boomers, born between 46 and 1964. And then you have the Gen Xers. Gen X, uh, born between 65 and 1980. After that, you have everybody's favorite generation, the millennials, born between 65 and 1980. So you thought like millennials were born in the 90s. That's not really what it is. Uh, Generation Z, however, I'm sorry, uh, millennials were born from 1980 to 96. Sorry about that graphic. Generation Z was born in 1997 and are alive today. So really the like high school, young 20-somethings and under, they're in Gen Z. Millennials were born from 1981 to 96. And then Gen X, 65, 1980. Here's what I want you to see. Multiple generations living all at one time. Can you see why we're all a little bit frustrated with one another? We have a three-bedroom house with five people living in it. You know what I'm saying, everybody? Like it's a little bit crowded. And you can be upset about that. You can get uh, maybe discouraged looking at all of that together, but you have to realize that it's actually an opportunity. Uh, how many of y'all know that the silent generation, you know, they're kind of like living with the baby boomers now. Baby boomers, you own the house. Let's just call it out. Uh, where is Gen X? Gen X is down in the basement trying to wake up the millennials and get them to go to work. And, uh, and then the millennials, uh, like right next to their sleeping selves is their kids and Gen, uh, Gen Z. And, and they're just, they can't stop playing Fortnite. And, and so um, you've got all these generations together and it is a unique opportunity. And so we are dynamic Indeed. Uh, Write this one down. We are a diverse generation, a diverse generation. And here's what I mean uh, by that. Uh, For those that were born and raised in the 80s and 90s, it is different today, clearly, than it was before. Like there was almost two epochs, if you will. Things change fundamentally. Let me show you what this looks like. Uh, For silent boomer and X generation, what did they look at life like? Well, it was a lot slower paced than it is today. Uh, in America, for the generation before 1980, faith was a shared value in America. You might not have had the same faith, but most people valued faith. Uh, trust, we had high levels of trust in institutions and in our structures and organizations and in society, and, and that was really based on our morality. We had a high moral standard and, 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 and high standards altogether. These high standards were great. Now, in some ways, in the Bible Belt, uh, that, that made things sink into a little bit of religion versus relationship with Jesus, but still, it was a very civil way to live altogether. But in 1981 a nuclear bomb called the millennial generation happened, and things changed rapidly. They started in a world that was very similar to this, but things started changing rapidly. And what you'll see is a lot of the change that we've experienced culturally, it coincided with a very big speed up in technology. So uh, just a little poll in the room. How many of y'all remember a phone that plugged into the wall. I ain't talking about a brick for your charger. I'm talking about, okay, how about this one? Anybody else remember the rotary phone? I mean, I'm telling you right now, this generation would have gone off and like ate a snack halfway between the first digits and the second. It it took so long. Uh, How many of y'all remember going to a video store? I remember in Nuego, we go to family video. That was a great Friday. Spend two hours walking around, checking out the new releases with like 50 bucks to rent, and, and, and we had to rent a VCR to play it on because those were a billion dollars. And, and so, so, so culture has changed, and it's lined up a lot with how technology has changed. And so millennials and the Gen Zers, we need to have a little bit of empathy with them because they have a foot in the old, the millennials, but they have a foot in the new, and, and the Gen Z, they don't know what we're talking about. And so this will stir up some empathy. For millennials and Gen Z generations, what does life look like? It's a lot more frantic. In fact, the average work week is 47 hours, and that doesn't include checking your email or text after hours. This is 47 hours. You're almost working an extra day a week. It's a frantic pace. Uh, faith is, is really in the margins. 
And if you are a believer, you feel this incredible social pressure to not say anything about what you think about that. Trust is broken. Uh, this is really from Animal House. Don't trust anybody over 30. Anybody ever heard that one? And, and, and that was the beginning of that mentality that became deep-seated in culture. And, and we don't trust organizations. We don't trust government. We, of all different persuasions, there's a loss of trust. And because of that, we've had moral decay. And, and we have moral tolerance, which doesn't mean what it means. It doesn't mean what it meant. Tolerance in and of itself, here's what it really means in the godly sense. It means that we value everybody equally. What? I'm behind that, everybody. Like we, We need to believe in the intrinsic value of every human being, born and not born, black, white, everything in between, like everybody counts. But what tolerance has become in this generation is really not so much you need to tolerate me and and put value on me as a person. It's that their opinions and ideas must be tolerated. You must give my belief equal footing and equal seat at the table. And if you don't, I have permission then to discount you as a person and devalue you. And I'm going to come against you and you are my enemy if you don't think like what I think. So it's really a moral intolerance that's alive and well today. So, so what, what am I saying? We're a diverse generation. You have some people that grew up in a fundamentally different culture than what you see today. Next thing, we are, because of all of that, a disconnected generation. What does it say in Judges 17? In those days, Israel had no king. Can I put it this way? They had no authority. Uh, They had no structure. Defund the police. All the people did whatever. Whatever what? Whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They're just doing whatever. They're drifting. They're wandering. There's no authority structure in all of that. And you can say, well, that's talking about a king in Israel. It's talking about a king in our hearts, too. It's talking about somebody in your world that can look at you and tell you no, and we don't like it. But friend, I'm here to tell you, it has made us disconnected in every way. And what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to break up these ancient paths that God had formed to have this relay of cultural values and Christian values and to not see the things that we're trying to conserve as a generation and conserve in our homes and keep values alive, not see those squandered. I was listening uh, this past week. It took me several days to get through it. It's like an hour and a half, but uh, it was a podcast from Jordan Peterson, and he's talking in his podcast about how Marxism has infiltrated the next generation. Very interesting listen, by the way, worth the homework for those of you that are parents with kids that are in public school. Uh, The second hour especially is of value. Um, He's talking with a guy who's actually another researcher and philosopher, but he's a Jew. He's a Jewish guy. But what they both came to the conclusion uh, was this, is if you want any kind of conservation of traditional values, the only solution that they found was that you would faithfully attend synagogue, was one guy's suggestion, or church on a regular basis where your young person can be exposed to multiple other generations and hear the goodness of God, and hear the cultural and family values, and have that passed down. They said, that's it. If you have any hope of this generation conserving, like having a conservative perspective on family values, it is that transfer, and it only happens in regular community, just like what's happening right now. Uh, I heard a quote uh, this past week from Margaret Mead. Let me read it to you. She's a cultural anthropologist. Throughout human history, in all cultures, parents and grandparents have helped their young understand life and the future. However, I anticipate that a time is coming where technology and culture, it will change so fast that for the first time in human history, children will have to figure out for themselves what their values will be. Boy, that's very apropos for where we're at. That's very current. It looks like the world that we're living at right now. When did she say that? You'd be surprised to hear it. She said it in the 1960s. 
Guys, listen to me. We are living in this today where your young person, for whatever crazy reason, you let your teenager have an iPhone, child abuse, and they are figuring out what their own philosophy, what their own ethos is as they scroll through Instagram and look at other people who are called influencers, which is the most fake thing on earth. You have to take a stand. Now, teenager, you might hate me. Mom, dad, get their phone. Get them a jitterbug. You're buying it for your parents? Buy them a jitterbug. It's the thing with the phone. It's like the buttons are the size of like floor tiles. You know, there's no text signals. The jitterbug comes with smoke signals. Like you're going to have to figure something out. Because listen, we're losing our kids. And if you want to have any conservation of our values, our Christian heritage in the next generation, you're going to have to intercede in what's happening right now because there are people that are paid, that that are working in palaces that we pay for with our property taxes that want the sole right to educate the next generation, and they take it very seriously. Boy, we got to get serious about this. I might not say one word of that in the next service, but that's something we need to know. Wow. We're... We're people that need to do something. Now, you can be discouraged at all of that, or you can make a decision. We can be hopeless, or as God's people, we can take on another mentality. Jesus talks about these type of opportunities in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. He tells them that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can't get enough people on the go team. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, very few of us in the room have an agricultural heritage. If we polled you, maybe your grandparents or your great-grandparents did. But, Ted, is the harvest just easy? Just hang around. You're like, woo, the harvest. It's a lot of work. So you can look at all of this cultural decay, and you can look at this big need with five generations. You can be like, this is awful. Or you can look at it and say, man, we had a big crop of apples. We got a big crop come in. What is a harvest field? A lot of work. And so you can look at it and say, this is our opportunity for the church to shine and have our finest hour as we intercede in this generation and show them the love of God. Can I hear an amen? Come on, somebody. Can I hear an amen? What do we need? The generational mindset. And so, with the moments that I have left with you, I want to show you what this looks like. I'm going to give you just two points and then a couple of questions I think that we need to be asking. The Apostle Paul had a generational mindset. And when God raised him up to start reading most of your New Testament, he was a person that took it very seriously. And his whole approach was in a generational model of doing things. God gave him a strategy. He knew this. If he started a whole bunch of churches and didn't have a generational mindset, he might get them off the ground in the short term, but eventually they would fail. They wouldn't have longevity because to have longevity, you've got to have buy-in with all the generations. And so the Bible says this. I'm going to share two passages with you. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. For I received from the Lord. I received. I got it what I also passed on to you. And then he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust. Everybody say entrust. Entrust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I received, I passed. You heard me say you entrust to others, and and actually you're entrusting it to others so they can entrust it to others. It's cyclical. It's a cycle. It's not meant to stop. Paul is showing us the generational mindset. Two points. First point is this. Number one, we personally receive from God. And that's not something we need to glaze over. This is a you thing. This is, this is you. Paul made it personally. He says, what I've received from God, I'm going to pass on to you. And if, if you don't have it yourself, you don't have it to give to the next generation. And, and by the way, if you're new to, to faith, if you're new to Christianity, and your family's just jumping into this, maybe you're a mom and dad, you're a little bit embarrassed because you're like, I don't know all the words to the song, so to speak. I don't, I don't know how to lead my kids in this great godly way. Here's what they need to see. They need to see you figuring it out in real time. You don't need to present yourself to them as Jesus. You need to present Jesus to your kids. 
And so they can know about your shortcomings. You can still have Christian authority in your home and have order and still show them what it looks like to figure these things out and take steps of faith together as a family, become something as together. And so you don't have to give them something you don't have. You don't have to put on airs and act like you're all that. You, re- you receive from God and you just give out what you've received. And when we read that scripture, it talks about receiving it sounds very passive. It almost sounds like, ah, oh, I went out and got the mail. I received the mail. You know, she gave it to me. I don't know. Receive is not a passive thing. When it says receive in that passage that we just read, here's what it means. It means like, come on, U of M. It means like you receive that ball in the midst of a game. Any, any U of M, go blue people in the house. Even if you're a Michigan State person, I've heard this before and I believe it. Common enemy is the lowest form of relationship, but it's still a form of relationship. And I think MSU or U of M can all agree, Ohio's going to hell. And we beat them <laughs> in Jesus' name. We need to send a missionary to Ohio, but it ain't me. You know, like, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I don't know. But, 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 but here's the big idea. Receive, it's like receiving that pass. Receive, it's like you at the Thanksgiving dinner table, like Garfield, bah, 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 you know, don't get it on the walls, right? You're receiving that food and it becomes part of you. And Paul is saying you're not passively receiving, you're actively receiving. You're aggressively, in a demonstrative way, you're receiving from God. And when you receive that, that gives you something to give. And God wants to stir his church right now. While we're at this crossroads moment, he wants to stir us with a new passion to personally receive from him. That we would be people, we'd be families, that we're not missing out. We're diving into the great things that God has for us. Because the world has gone crazy, because they've lost their mind, we have an important moment where we can stand up. Well, Pastor Joe, I didn't receive. I don't have a Christian background. God speaks all of this to the Apostle Paul. Think about Paul. He became an apostle after Jesus was raised from the dead. He missed the three years of Jesus' ministry. You know what that tells me? It's never too late. It's never too late. You're a new Christian, it's never too late. You messed up in your walk with God, it's never too late. You messed up and you knew what you're doing and you still did stupid and you're reaping the results of stupid, it's never too late. God can redeem you, he can redeem your home, can put your family's feet on a rock. Somebody give God praise. And so what are we doing? The Bevelacquas, my family in 2023, we're going all in. We're not missing anything. We're diving into everything this church is doing. We're diving into every activity, event. We're serving. We're giving. You're going to see my little seven-year-old around here apparently mopping the floors at New Chapel because it does something in families. I don't care about child labor laws. Your kid needs to serve at New Chapel. Lord Almighty. And I'm just, I'm just saying we're jumping in because culture is at a crossroads. And we might just as well go back to the ancient, tried, and true method. Get your kids in church. You need church for you. Don't miss it. But your kids need church. Do you know your kids are taught the word of God back in New Kids, that they are learning how to live it out in a practical way? I mean, I grew up and we had a flannel gram. Anybody know what that is? We had a little flannel, little little, little uh, felt characters we were putting on a board, little shepherds. I didn't know what was going on. I just wanted the snack. You know, like... Your kids are leaving every single week, and they know their memory first, and they know the, the, the go point, and they, they have this, this truth in their heart. In fact, for just two seconds, can we give it up for the team of people that are serving your kids back there? Praise God. And so we personally receive from God. That's number one. Number two, write it down. We intentionally pass it on to others. Intentionally pass it on to others. And if you're not intentional with it, by the way, it ain't going to happen. If you just agree with what I say today and go, well, praise God, sick them, preacher, I'm telling you, you won't have change. But if you, if you become intentional about this, you say, I'm going to do the hard thing, the thing that's unfamiliar, it'll be huge. It'll change everything. What did Paul say? He said, entrust to reliable people, qualified things to, to teach others, entrust it. We think that throwing truth bombs at the generation that's acting so dunce is what we need to do. You get on Facebook and you're like, truth bombing, truth bombing. You're like, why don't you just act like this? Why don't you just understand? Why don't you just change? Don't you see that it's gonna, and you're just truth bombing them. And let me just tell you, it's a lot of fun. 
But <laughs> pow, because it's right. You're right. But you can be right or you can be influential. Because even if you hit them with their little truth bomb and they have that truth in their lap, they don't even know what to do with it. They don't even know what to do with it. So if you want them to change, you're going to have to get messy. People issues are messy. You have to talk to them about what's going on in their world. Talk to them about some of these issues. Very clean cut, clear in the scripture. But it's messy in trying to convey it to people that just don't see it that way. We need to entrust it to them. So it's not truth bombs. It's not, it's not frivolous. The word entrust there, what the Bible would convey, is almost like, like what we would think of as like making a deposit at the bank. You would not drive past the bank and take your little deposit envelope and just fling it over at Bank of America or fling it at Independent Bank and say, take that or you know, whatever. Just, just, no, that's just your money. Like you'd walk in, you'd deposit it. You'd be like, no, I want my balance. I want to make sure that you did it. Because how many of y'all know when it comes to money, everybody's stupid but you. And I just want to see it. I, oh, no, no, we were not like that. We believe the best. But you're very smart. But I do want to see it. <laughs> you deposit it. You're careful with it. Because you want that money to get into that account and be able to accrue interest. And that's what Paul is conveying, entrust it. I want it to go into this generation, and I want, I want dividends on this. I need this to brew in them so that actually there's more here for the next generation and the generation. I'm entrusting this truth to my kids. What are you saying? Personally receive, intentionally give. Now, there's times around here where it's not super convenient to invite people to church. Maybe August and June, those are like weird times. But we're coming up on a prime time where it's very easy to pass our church on, pass truth on to other people. And it's Christmas time. Throw up that slide there, guys. Christmas is coming up and New Chapel, the way that we're celebrating Christmas this year is on Christmas Eve, which we did last year. We're also doing this year. Here's why. Uh, Because Christmas is on Sunday. And if I don't want to be here, you don't want to be here. And so New Chapel doesn't cancel services unless it's like the great blizzard from Rudolph. And, and, and so we're not canceling, but we are moving our Sunday services to Saturday night, really Saturday afternoon. And we have for the first time New Chapel three different opportunities for you to be able to attend Christmas service at 2 o'clock, 3.30, and 5 o'clock. And we give God praise just for that. Look at what God is doing in the life of your church. Here's what I'm saying. This is a great opportunity to pass it on. You might be able to share your faith with a couple people this year, but it's a little bit more comfortable to share your seat with a lot of people that you work with and your family, give them an invite. And so December 24th is a great opportunity, three service times, to be able to invite somebody to church. Also, we're launching an annual favorite here at New Chapel. It's what we call Four Ways to Give Back. On your seat today, if you could just pull out that little card Uh, It might be a little bit more difficult to read everything on the screen, but it's right in front of you on that card. Uh, The four ways to give back this year. Uh, The first one is, we talked about it earlier, the Kingdom Legacy Offering, and that's on December 11th. And uh, that's our annual giving opportunity to sow into God's work in 2023. Pray about that. Uh, We also are giving away Christmas gifts to communities that are a little bit known to be in a less fortunate spot. And so uh, we have two opportunities related to that, a packing party on the 10th, and then distribution of those gifts at these different, uh, I think we're going to Alpine Meadows and uh, two other uh, park neighborhoods uh, to give out these gifts. And so we need people to pack, if you could sign up at guest services, and we need people to distribute these gifts, if you could sign up at guest services, it'd mean the world. And then the final two have to do with Christmas Eve. Uh, the first thing is inviting people. Literally, it is a huge deal. You want to give back. If you want to honor God, Christmas is not about presents. It's not about Santa. I love all those things. In fact, I, I'm having a Santa coat made for me this year. Hello. But what is Christmas? It's a birthday. And so if you want to celebrate Jesus and really bring him a gift, it's bringing somebody into Christmas to celebrate his birthday party in style. So so it is inviting. And then the last thing is this. If you're on the go team or maybe you're thinking about it, I need your help. And I know what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a little bit of time out of December 24th for you to serve. And I'm asking for you not just to come and serve and take off. I'm asking for you to sit one and serve one. And so in very short order, you're going to be getting, if you are already on the Go Team, uh, through the Planning Center app, you're going to be getting scheduled on those dates. If you'd like to like move that around and help us negotiate it, that's fine. But I'm making a big ask, and that is that everybody on the Go Team serves on Christmas Eve. We need you. 
You need to be here. Because wouldn't it be an awful shame if God has all these people come in from the outside that we've been believing God for for months and family members showing up and people that have been inviting like crazy and then half the church is like, well, we're going to go do our own thing and you peace out and God's house is half filled and they never get to meet the great people that are making things happen around here at New Chapel. It'd be a shame. And so I'm asking for your attendance and I'm asking for you to serve and let's invite people like crazy. Why? Because we want to intentionally pass on God's goodness to others. Can I hear an amen? Now, those are just practical things that you can do. I want to share with you uh, really three questions that if you can jot these down, these are three questions that this generation is asking. And if you can come up with a solution to this, I think that you're going to have a real in because my perception, I think their perception is we don't have the answer. And here's what I know. God's word has the answer on all of this. If you're overwhelmed, here's where you start. Three questions that if we answer them, this next generation is really going to cling to us. What is truth? This generation is asking, what is truth? And you think that it's unique to our generation. It's not. This has actually happened all through human history. In fact, in Jesus' time, during Jesus' trial, John 18, let me read it for you. Pilate said... So you're a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And then Pilate asked the profound question for his generation, and it's the same one this generation needs. What is it? What is truth? What does it look like? And everybody look at me. It is found in that good old gospel book. It is the B-I-B-L-E. I've heard people say, well, there's no handbook on life. On contraire, my friend, the Bible has practical answers for today. It's not outdated. It is the only book that reads you when you read it. It has answers for our culture. It's not outdated. Can I hear an amen? And we need to be people that, that Although we might not know it all, we can sink in and say, God has answers and it's shown in his word. And so when they say, well, what is truth on this? What does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about family? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about raising kids? What does the Bible say about morality? What does the Bible say about standards? Guys, I'm here to tell you that if you can present a truth and it's systematic, what am I saying? In my world, when I went to Bible school, they teach a systematic theology. In other words, it all has to work together. In other words, you can't say God is good and he controls everything in a robotic way. It doesn't work. What's the purpose of making Jesus Christ Lord? It's the fact that this world is out of control, right? And so you can say, I made him Lord, God is good, but you can't say God controls everything sterilely and God is good. Systematic theology. Here's what I'm saying. If you can present to them a systematic truth, not these simplistics, well, you shouldn't be doing that. Tell them why. Tell them how it works. Tell them how it erodes away at your family. I am not a sin preacher. Look at me. I've never harped on you. Well, you shouldn't be living with your girlfriend before you get married. I never have to do that. I will say this. If you do get married after living with your girlfriend, the percentage on your relationship continuing in perpetuity, very slim. Why? Don't work. (laughs) A lot of God's morality just calls out stuff that doesn't work. It's not him trying to be, you shouldn't, because I said, it's him saying, I want the best for you. What is truth? Well, let me answer that. Do you see it? That's our call. And I will also say this. I added this in on purpose. Men, we need to rise up and open our mouths. You're the strong, silent type. Well, stop. We need you to open your mouth and help lead your home. I found this stat very interesting. As a family member comes to Christ, the influence they have on the rest of the family coming to Christ. Well, if, if the wife comes to Christ, 18%. Kids, 22 Dads, 94%. Dad comes to Christ, that whole family's coming. That's why we do pheasant hunts and shoot guns. <laughs> That's why your pastor looks uncomfortable in a blazer, okay? This is, this is Grand Rapids dude church, okay? And there's a reason. is because we don't have some flowery thing where, and listen, women, we, we want you to be empowered. We want you to be leaders in your own right. But you know this. 
you need men to be a leader in their own right, to be the leaders that God has called us to be. And so we don't have this flowery appeal to this whole deal called church. We lead it with a godly way, with a steady, gentle hand, and we go after the men in the house. And I call out men when we do baptisms every single time. And I will publicly call you out in front of your family if you're not baptized. It's wonderful. I have a license to do it. Because if you buck up and you say, fine, I'll do it, preacher. I'm here to tell you that your kids' lives will be changed forever. I get 52 shots in my gun. I get, put it this way, like 52 hours with your kids. But if God can change your heart, we can change a generation. Wow. Second question that they're asking, I got to move on, is where do I belong? And they don't know. So they're making it up. If you want a great family, sir, ma'am, Give your family a strong identity. Let your kids know those great old family stories and family traditions. My, my son has really become aware of this, and he, he takes pride in the name Bevilacqua, that we're Italian, we're the Bevilacquas, and, and uh, he's very vocal about that. And, and, and I love seeing that begin to happen, and it's because we tell stories. We tell stories about how Kai and I got married, and we tell stories about Grandma Jojo, Pastor Eric's wife, Kaya's mom, and, and we let them know that you belong in this place and our family has identity. Pastor Joe, that's hard for me. I feel like I belong anywhere. When you're here, we've prayed for you to feel that way. And, and I know that that might feel weird with you coming into a church. It feels very transactional, but, but we've worked hard that it wouldn't. That if you give us a shot and you actually start to meet some people around here, you'll find out that we're a growing family, but we're family. And that we've started to take it very seriously. Building God's church, yes, but we're building it relationally. At my Thanksgiving table, I looked around and, and there was Judy and Kathy and there was Ed and Sheila and there was a combination of different families that have all become family together. We've done that on purpose. It's, it's God's heart, it's my heart. And I can read about it when you read Psalm 68. The Bible says, God sets the lonely in families. So there's people that, that you might be coming in here, you don't know anybody, please just, just say hey to people. When we do those little mixer times, say hi, learn somebody's name, connect with somebody because you need to connect with somebody else that knows your name. As we grow, I want to know everybody's name, but it's not so important that I know your name. It's important that somebody does. It's important that as we grow this thing, that we grow it relationally, and that you feel that you belong in this place. New Chapel, we are diverse and dynamic and expressive and crazy and <laughs> creative group of people. And if you feel like an outsider, I, I pray that you know our heart is that there's no outsiders here. I love how in Jewish culture, there's no orphans. Did you know that? If a mom and dad passed away or any other circumstance, the whole community absorbs the child. There's no such thing as an orphan and you are welcome as you are and we will show you Jesus and let you share in the journey that we're all on. That's why we offer, by the way, a new chapel connect. It's serious. Here's why. You need to connect with the church. You need to connect formally for sure, but you need to connect in such a way where somebody else knows your name. Next week, write this down, is partnership one. It's the perfect opportunity to jump in. It's only two parts, two weeks, and it's held during nine and 11. Jump in to New Chapel Connect. It's over in the grow room and connect with this church. Let somebody else know that you came to New Chapel. Don't just slip out automatically. Find community in this place. And then the third question, I gotta press on. The question this generation is asking is, does my life matter? And after weeks of going through the made for more journey, we know, yes, it does. But they need to know that. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God has a plan for our lives, a purpose, and this generation needs to know it. We need to give them the gospel, but we need to show them that they have worth and value and gifts and talents. I am where I am today because somebody spoke into my life. They saw things in me that I did not see in me, and they spoke truth into my life. And this, this generation, it's amazing. You think that they don't even want to talk to you. They want to blow you off, the millennials and the Gen Z, the furthest thing from the truth. What's the truth? If they know that you love them, they want you to challenge them. They want truth. In fact, some of the hardness that you get from them, that, that austere, get away from me, 
is because they only want truth. They don't have tolerance for anything fake. And I think that the church of Jesus Christ needs to not be afraid or turned off from that. When they're asking about truth, we need to not get upset. We need to say, well, I have the truth and I can tell you about it. I can tell you about what God has done in my life. And when I apply truth into my world, it's the generational mindset. What does it look like? Again, we personally receive from God and we intentionally give to others. We find the ancient paths and we walk in them. This is receiving from God and passing it on. This is family. This is what matters. In a world that's drifting, we, New Chapel, can raise godly families. Are you with me? We can be the people that can stand for truth. And for these generations that are drifting, God can use us in a big way to see those generational lines, those ancient paths reconnected and restored in Jesus' name. If you agree with me, can you put your hands together? Thank you, God. You bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for meeting us in this place. God, thank you for giving us hope in a generation that is drifting. God, I pray that you'd raise up a standard among us. Help us and show us, God, how to walk in it. We trust you along the way in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a second. If you came in here and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means heaven, but it also means eternal life today. The peace, the joy that you're looking for is found in Jesus. Church, I want to pray this out loud with everybody who's praying it for the first time. Pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised him from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. I receive all that you have for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give it up for those people that accepted Christ. Praise God. Wow. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace from generation to generation. And as you go. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.